We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by andrewandtodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try andrewandtodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Morning, Gloria America. Hugh Hewitt live in the Beltway on a dark Thursday, August 19. I'm joined by United States Senator Ben Sass. Good morning, Senator Sass. Welcome back. It's the morning. It's not good, but yeah. Morning. Senator, um, I want to remind people you're a Ph.D. historian from Yale and then ask this question. Has America ever confronted a situation like this where we have lost a war and left 15,000 or so Americans behind as well as allies and friends? With those particulars, no. Obviously, there are lots of important historical parallels with, you know, some difference about Saigon and some difference about the hostage crisis. But when you combine the failures um, morally, the failures of planning leadership and the failures of just communication to the American people about what the actual choices are and then end up with this many Americans and this many heroic Afghans who fought alongside us to take the fight, against the Taliban and al-Qaeda over there rather than over here. I don't think there's a parallel to this. So it is catastrophic, and I am not surprised that there's a lot of shock. I may be you know, representative of media. I, I, I'm both obsessive about it, and I can't watch anything else, but I'm trying not to overreact to anything. Nevertheless, I have to ask you, is the executive branch functioning? No. I mean, you saw it yesterday with the difference between the Austin and Milley comments and uh, I guess the Biden comments that are supposed to be on Stephanopoulos this morning. I get confused about which piece was was for which day. But um, when they can't say things as simple as there is no countdown clock on an American life, um, they have they have no plan as senators on the intelligence committee of both parties have been screaming at them since April. It sure as heck doesn't feel like you have a plan. And you're saying all these romantic, weird things about the Taliban craving international recognition and legitimacy. And there will be no um, Taliban assault on Kabul until after the pause in the fighting season for the winter. You say all of these romantic things that don't sound like military or diplomatic planners, why are you so sure of this, and what is your contingency plan? And it's clear that they didn't have one. Right now, we're depending on the Taliban to let people get to an airport. And if one of those fighters downs a jet on the runway or on takeoff with a stingray, um, this nightmare is going to get a lot worse. And they just keep coming back to these rhetorical tropes about how there was no other choice and chaos was going to ensue no matter what. I was against this withdrawal decision. But that's a different question than whether or not you execute it like a bunch of imbeciles. Now, Senator, I'm I I still am cognizant that everyone is sort of coping with an unprecedented situation. But ABC received an exclusive interview after 
the collective American people were appalled by Monday's speech, uh, shocked he didn't take questions Monday or Wednesday, uh, alarmed that he's in hiding. And the bits that we've seen uh, raise serious questions of capacity, the four or five days comment, among others. Does ABC owe us the unedited tape so we can evaluate the president's capacity? Uh, I'm for that. It's not a question I've thought about, but yeah, I'm for the American people being able to see this. The president, your your point about the four or five days comment. Let's just think about what happened there. The American people saw images of Afghans fleeing and being willing to make the you know in, incredibly improbable or actually suicidal decision to just try to stick on the side of a plane or climb into the landing gear well because. They knew the probability of simple execution uh, if they were abandoned in Kabul. And let's be clear what their crime was. Their crime was for being allied and united with us and fighting a common enemy that brought down the World Trade Center or provided the safe haven that enabled the taking down of the World Trade Center and has continued to fight against the government of, of uh, Afghanistan. We have all this nonsense where people say this is a 20-year invasion. We had a one-year invasion <clears throat> after 9-11. And then the government of Afghanistan asked for our support. We gave our support. And these people now see that we are abandoning them. An unbelievably immoral act on the global stage. And the American people see that image. And the president of the United States, the commander in chief, gets irked and says that was days ago. No, these are images that are going to last 100 years. But regardless of what day they came, there's no one in the American public who's given a rip about which news cycle the images came from. And clearly, the president's team is coaching him to treat this as if the American people have no attention span. And two weeks or two months from now, we'll have all forgotten it. So just push on and act like you should attack any question you get about it as something from the distant past. Right now, there are thousands and thousands of Americans who are well beyond the wire outside the Karzai International Airport. And the State Department is sending them messages saying we can't guarantee any passage for you to to the airport. And we know that uh, General Austin, Secretary Austin, said that he doesn't have the capacity to push back the perimeter of the airport. That is not true. What he's demonstrating is a lack of will, not a lack of capacity to push back the perimeter of the airport. And you have a bunch of heroes beyond just the Americans. You have Afghan allies of the American people who are well beyond the outskirts of the airport, don't know if they can get there. And the calls we're getting to my office from some of our Afghan allies and from some Americans who, you know, fought before and have built relationships with these people and made pledges on your and my behalf to them. These folks, when they try to get across the Taliban checkpoints on their way to Karzai Airport, they're burning their American documents because they know they're at risk of, you know, beatings and, and beheadings at, the, at these checkpoints by the Taliban bloodthirsty thugs. So they burn their American documents so they can get through the checkpoint, and then they get to the airport, and we have American military leadership saying, we have no ability to even engage these people. We can't push back the perimeter. We're too weak. No, they're demonstrating a lack of will that is and not Senator, a functioning and, government. And, Senator, I am worried that the American people are not fully aware, and you're on the Intel Committee, so I want to know if it's raised there. Zawahiri is out there. There are other splinter groups out there that would love nothing more than to blow up more Americans, take Americans hostage. Is anyone evaluating the threat? Are we thinking about an Inchon option? Are we thinking about military force? General Mattis oversaw Task Force 58, 400 nautical miles. We traveled to the middle of the Afghan desert in 2001. Is anyone talking about 
We might not end up having an August 2021 commission. We might end up having a September 2021 commission about thousands of Americans trapped and, and hundreds killed or an attack on the homeland. No one seems to get this. Yeah, without without crossing over any classified line, I'll just say that the uh, Senate Intel Committee has been serving the American people well. And it, every Republican has been um, raising our voices and up in arms since the April uh, moment. Again, I, I was against the decision. But what we're talking about here is primarily the execution, not the decision to withdraw, though I was against that. Republicans have been screaming about it, but Mark Warner, our chairman, has also done a very good job asking a lot of questions along the lines of what you're saying. But again, I don't, I don't want to get into those particulars. But just, just to your point about the, the many, many characters out there who have names that are not household names like bin Laden, we should be clear about why they're not household names. It wasn't because they lacked the will, and it wasn't because they weren't planning. It's because they never took down a World Trade Center. And the reason they never took down a World Trade Center is because we were effective in so much of this mission. Our intelligence uh, operators and our special uh, operators out there, our special forces, have decapitated terror organizations again and again and again. It was always a false choice to say we need to have zero troops in theater, or we need 150,000 occupying ground forces. We haven't ever had 100,000 people in Afghanistan in a decade plus. What we needed was um, the special forces on the ground, the intelligence gathering capabilities, and air support. And what went wrong here tactically, more than anything else, is the bizarre political decision of the Biden administration to just rip the air support from the Afghan security forces and then turn around and be surprised that these people who were trained to fight in a way that had air superiority and now the United States took their air superiority away from them and were surprised that they then weren't sure how they would okay. fight. OK, so, Senator, we got a minute and a half. I'd like your sincere advice to the president who has closed himself off. He might read this transcript. One of his advisors is surely listening. I know that. What ought the president to do? Uh, let's start with two things. First of all, uh, we should be unambiguous that there is absolutely no countdown clock on American lives. And we should be clear that the, the 60,000 folks or arguably 80,000 folks plus families that we've made particular commitments to, we are getting those people out and we are indifferent to the calendar. The Taliban has no say about whether or not the American government has will to save American people and American allies who heroically fought to protect us. How Number should he two, communicate that? that? <clears throat> he, he should speak to the American people and to the world. He obviously has the biggest bully pulpit that's ever existed. But number two is he needs to direct his military, our military, to push the perimeter out way, way beyond Karzai Airport. I agree. We need to be sure that the Taliban doesn't own the paths to the airport. I agree. Senator Ben Sass, thank you. I'll be right back, America. It's Thursday. I'm live in the Beltway. It's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live inside the Beltway on a very dark Thursday. America's lost a war, maybe for the first time ever in its history. This is so much worse than Saigon's collapse in 1975 when Americans were not on the ground not held hostage by the North Vietnamese army. The collapse of an ally is very different from the collapse of our own will. I'm joined by United States Senator Bill Haggerty, who served under President Trump as ambassador to Japan. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back. Good morning, Hugh. It's great to be back with you. 
Can you first give us your overview of the last week? It's been heartbreaking, Hugh. Uh, it's been absolutely heartbreaking to see what's unfolding in Afghanistan. And it's not just the humanitarian disaster on the ground there. It's the embarrassment of a nation. Uh, think about the, the blood that's been shed, the treasure that's been put in place there in Afghanistan. And for us to turn around, walk away, and create a vacuum with no planning whatsoever uh, has been just uh, just an abomination. And it's not, it's not just the Americans that I'm hearing from. And I tell you, Hugh, I'm hearing from people here in Tennessee every day. We've got the 101st Airborne here. Um, people know the sacrifices that we've made to build America's credibility in the world. And now we see our own people at risk. It's also our allies. I've talked to people from around the globe. I'm getting calls from everywhere. People are People, when I say people, our allies are deeply concerned about their ability to rely on America now. And our, they're concerned about our competence uh, when they see a failed execution of this proportion. Senator Haggerty, your colleague, Senator Cotton, uh, two days ago on this program said the president appeared shell-shocked. It is now obvious to me that the entire executive branch is in a state of something approaching shell-shock, incapable of actually making decisions. Now, I believe the military has that capability, and the further away from Washington it gets, the more that capability is obvious, right out to the walls on Kabul's airport. But do you believe anywhere there is planning or contingency for a counteroffensive any use of any sort of American force to save Americans, if necessary, reclaim Bagram or other places from which we can stage rescue operations? Well, if, if I can take a step back and just share some of my experience as Ambassador Hugh, um, every ambassador is responsible for what's known as a non-combatant evacuation operation plan. We call them NEO for short. But a NEO plan is, is the plan to move Americans safely, to move allies safely from a disaster situation. When I arrived in Japan, and again, Japan is the third largest economy in the world. At any given day, there are a quarter of a million Americans there. When I arrived in Japan, I reviewed my non-combatant evacuation operation plan. It was not up to snuff. It was dated. Uh, it took me months working through this with our military, with the State Department, with all of the involved parties to, to put in place an updated plan. But you, you remember the threat that I was facing at that point. We had North Korea launching intercontinental ballistic missiles over Japan. It's a volcanic island. Um, there are many things that could happen. You've got to be prepared for all contingencies. I'll, I'll just say this without getting into any classified aspect of it. The military assets that we had in Japan were a significant component of my plan in terms of our ability to, to move people, to process people, and then flow them onward uh, to, to, to a safe zone or onward back to America, whatever the case may have been. That plan, obviously, was never executed here in Afghanistan. That plan, should it have existed, uh, failed immediately. And when you look at the fact that we withdrew our military before our diplomatic presence, before the Americans were out, uh, you can see how obvious, you know, how obviously crippling that was. And it just underscores the fact that there was not adequate planning in place. Now, Senator, we know that. Now, I'm trying to look forward, though. Do you have any reason to believe we are planning any kind of inshon option, any kind of counterattack, any kind of rescue operation involving the United States military? Have you been briefed on that? Ought that I'm, planning to be undertaken? Yeah, what, what we've seen thus far is an increase. We're moving, we're moving um, American military back in. Right now, they're targeting the, um, the, the airport there in Kabul, uh, Karzai Airport. Uh, there is a flow in place, but with respect to a broader plan, uh, I, I don't have any comments to make on that. Would you support any use of the military that President Biden authorizes based upon exigent circumstances to rescue Americans and allies? 
Absolutely. I've been asked this before. We need to get Americans out of there, whatever it takes. All right. Now, Senator, I don't enjoy asking this question. Representative Banks with just on. But the president's conduct over the last six days leads me to ask it. Do you have doubts about his capacity to make informed decisions? This has created doubt, um, not only in my mind, in, in, Amer- in the mind of many, many Americans, but also doubt in the minds of our allies. Um, it has been just shocking to see the, uh, the, the president's lack of attention to this, his unwillingness to address it, the fact that he's tried to spin and deflect rather than accept responsibility, own it, and fix it. Uh, it's just been shocking. And I, I think the American people are, are, are crushed from, from, um, you know, from, from the standpoint of seeing the reputation of our nation uh, diminished as much as it has been diminished. They're crushed seeing Americans, American lives now put at risk in the way that, that they have been put at risk. And the fact that we have just cut and run, so to speak, without any plan in place is, is not the America that uh, Tennesseans expect. I believe it's fair to say that the American people as a whole were dismayed by the events and by the president's non-response. They were uh, alarmed by the photo from Camp David. They were angry with the defiant speech, puzzled by his refusal to ask questions. And now the bits of the Stephanopoulos interview that we have seen have raised these questions about capacity four or five days ago. That will be an indelible remark, a Roger Mudd-like moment with Teddy Kennedy. But ABC has an unedited tape. George Stephanopoulos told me via Twitter this morning, public facing, that a transcript would be released this morning. That is not, in my view, enough. Long ago, Richard Nixon offered a transcript of the Watergate tapes to John Stennis that was immediately and roundly rejected. Does ABC owe the American people an unedited view of the president since we have nothing else? Well, I, I'm, I'm certain the American public would prefer this, and I, I think that you're raising it. Talking about it right now is a great way to put pressure on the situation to actually see the raw footage. Have you been con- contacted by any member of the executive branch? Uh, I have reached out in, in, um, myself, and I've also been contacted by members of the executive branch at the cabinet level. So they are um, doing their best to keep us informed, but it's clear as they do it that there is a, you know, a great void here in terms of planning. And I, I watched yesterday the, the press conference with Secretary Austin, um, with, with uh, Chief of Staff uh, Mark Milley. I mean, it sounds as though they're depending on diplomatic success with the Taliban to get uh, Americans to the airport. Um, you know, General Milley talked about, well, the State Department has sent messages to Americans on the ground. We need to be in a position to protect Americans and move them. In fact, our allies are doing that. Uh, our allies are sending uh, teams in to go and get their people and move them to the airport. Uh, General Miley, uh, General Milley did, in fact, make reference to that capacity. He did not dismiss it. So I, I'm hopeful that there's planning going on. Yesterday, Leader McConnell was on the show and urged immediate action to reassure Taiwan, which is being threatened by the Chinese Communist Party, resumption of arms sales to Saudi Arabia and other actions that former National Security Advisor O'Brien, former DNI Ratcliffe, have posted in the foreign policy website. A half dozen specific things we could take immediately to reinforce shattered American credibility. Have you reviewed any of these? Do you support the leader's position on Taiwan and Saudi Arabia? I do support the leader's position, and I have the highest regard for our former national security advisor, O'Brien, and and, um, former DNI Radcliffe. Uh, I think they're clear-eyed on this. I think they see what's been sacrificed right now, and we do need to take moves, and we can take moves, to restore our allies' confidence and our ability to 
keep our word and show our resolve. Uh, we've got to have a we, we've got to have a sea change uh, in the position of this administration right now. They need to wake up and they need to address this. Now, Senator Haggerty, I, I understand the need to keep confidential what is confidential. But when someone tells me they talk to cabinet level, I have to ask. And unless you're forbidden from telling us, I think it would be reassuring to know who are we talking about? When did you talk to them and how long did you speak to them, too? Um, I, I've talked with the again at, at the secretary level with the secretary of state, secretary of defense. Um, and we have you know, an ongoing uh, ongoing update. Do, you, do they answer questions that you pose of them or do they deflect them? No, they, they, they're answering questions in earnest. What kind of questions are you asking, Senator? I, th- I think people want to, um, I, I think certainly people in my position uh, want to know what the plan is. And we want to see uh, an accountable process uh, immediately put in place. It's, it's less about looking backward right now and more about understanding what we're doing to address the immediate situation where American lives are at stake and where the, the lives of the people who we've promised to care for uh, are, are at stake. That's the primary concern right now. Longer term, there's going to be a lot more uh, talk about what happened, uh, a much more forensic view of what's taken place here. But right now, we're, we're focused on getting American lives secured and safe, uh, as well as the... So the, is, the is that what you're asking? Who are we saving and how? Yeah, the... the the focus right now is on American lives and safety. Now, uh, last question, Senator. In the aftermath of the fall of Saigon, Camp Pendleton became home to thousands of South Vietnamese. My brother-in-law worked that operation. My wife lived on the corner of the base at that time as a young Marine brat. Mm. Uh, we had thousands of refugees there, and they're all integrated into American society and well. Ought we to throw open the doors to our Afghan allies in the same fashion, perhaps even at the same place? Well, I've... I've certainly heard a lot of talk about that uh, in the past few days. I'm going to say this, though, Hugh. We first have to focus on the promises and the commitments that we've made, taking care of Americans, taking care of those Afghans that worked and fought alongside us, that interpreted for us and helped us, that we made promises to on the ground. We could be facing a situation where we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Afghans who want to, be, uh, who want to, to flee Afghanistan. We don't have the capacity to properly vet these folks. We have to vet the people that are coming into America. You see the crisis that we've got at our southern border right now. I don't think America can accommodate the kind of uh, chaos that uh, this may, that may ensue there. We need to figure out a path and a process to evaluate the situation on the ground there in Afghanistan, work with local regional partners that are culturally more sim- similar to those people who may want to depart uh, and, and help find safe haven there. But we cannot overlook the the desperate need to properly vet people coming from this region. I I agree, Senator, and uh, perhaps call for the file on the Camp Pendleton operation. It has a name. I can't remember it, but it went very well. And little cobbles out near San Francisco as well. The the resources are there to vet. I'm I'm sure we can get it done, though they have to stay there for a while. Senator Bill Haggerty, the conversation will continue. I appreciate your efforts on behalf of Tennesseans and all Americans and your experience. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Hey, morning, Glory America. I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway Live on a very dark Thursday morning. America's lost a war. That shock is settling in. We've left thousands of Americans stranded in Afghanistan with vast piles of sophisticated equipment, as well as allies and Afghan friends hostage behind terrorist lines. Soon that will develop into an even greater morass. I'm joined by Congressman Jim Banks himself a veteran of the war. Good morning, Congressman. Welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey, good morning, Hugh. Good to be with you. 
Uh, to ground this, Congressman, would you describe to the audience your experience with the military over the last 15 years? Well, I, I'm a Navy Reserve officer. I was I was commissioned through a, a pro, the same program that Pete Buttigieg went through, actually, the Direct Commission Officer Program, which is unique in the entire United States military. Um, a, a great program to give people an opportunity to serve. I was very proud to serve. I'm a Navy logistics officer in the in, in what's called the Supply Corps. Uh, I went through my all of my initial training. Hugh was went through the Supply Corps School at Newport, Rhode Island, the greatest. One of the greatest Navy uh, towns in the in the country uh, that I love, and then immediately, I was like so many Navy reservists. I was called up to go to Afghanistan. Um, that that was that was a typical experience over the last couple of decades for for Navy reservists, uh, not to go to sea, but to go to to go to Afghanistan or Iraq. And for so, me, where I, did I, go, go ahead? I, I was going to ask where and when did you serve in Afghanistan, so we know where your specific expertise is uh, geographically. Yeah, it's re- it's relevant. I, I I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2014 and 15, and again, all of my training, all my background is in Navy logistics. But I found myself uniquely in a role in in, in uh, something called doing something called foreign military sales, which is the the uh, the effort in Afghanistan on the front end and the back end of acquiring American-made equipment and then transferring that equipment over to the Afghan army and the Afghan police. So you can imagine. As this is un- as, as this is unfolding, uh, my, my my biggest question is about all of that, all, all the billions, the tens of billions of dollars of American-made equipment. I'm just, I'm not just talking about Humvees and ground-wheeled vehicles, which is the portfolio that the commodity that I I oversaw during my stint in Afghanistan. But the weapons and ammunition, the the night vi- nobody's talking about the night vision goggles. I mean, we we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on night vision goggles and, and gave them to uh, the Afghan army and the Afghan police that I guarantee you are now in the hands of the Taliban. Me- medical supplies, I mean, the list goes on and on of the different types of of uh, American-made uh, uh, military-grade equipment and other things we've turned over that are now in the, in the Taliban's hands. Were you at Bagram or in Kabul or Kandahar? Uh- Representative Banks. Uh, all, all, all the above. I, I was head, I was uh, stationed on the headquarters base uh, just outside of the embassy, so I spent a lot of time at the embassy with the embassy staff. Um, but I did spend a lot of our vehicles would uh, come in and out as they arrived in Afghanistan. We had a, we had a couple of, by the way, a couple of parking lots. I, I, I led a, a delegation of congressmen back to Afghanistan a few years ago to show them exactly what I did, which was uh, was process these vehicles, uh, justify them on the front end, and then, and then title transfer them over to the Afghans. There are a couple of very large parking lots. Uh, I'll send you photos of them later, Hugh. You'll, they, they're, they're baffling when you see them because just uh, thousands of parked vehicles and, and storage boxes and other things that sat in these parking lots. And a big part of our effort was securing those uh, those parking lots because that's where we, we transfer things to the Afghans. But we we did spend a lot of our time. We had we had tentacles into the the Bagram uh, 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 base and airfield, and and that's also stunning to me. How why we gave that up on July first? That when, when we do get around to having a select committee or a commission on Afghanistan, the the question begs itself. Uh, 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 deserves me answer why we why we gave up Bagram when that's exactly what we need in a time uh, like this to get Americans now, now out, the, of, out of the country. I've got some quick questions, having grounded your experience in that. 
ought the United States to be considering? Do you think we are considering some sort of an Inchon option to take back Bagram and, in fact, rescue Americans and destroy those very dangerous munitions now in the hands of an avowedly terrorist organization with others flooding into the country? If, if you were going to secure any any place in the country of Afghanistan, it would be the, Agra, the Bagram airfield. I mean, that, traditionally, that, that's where we flew most of our our missions out of uh, for, for closed air support around the country. I mean, yeah, to answer your question, yes, it's, it was strategically important. It is kind of in a bowl, though. I mean, it was surrounded by by mountains, and there were often Taliban uh, rocket attacks from up on the mountains onto the base. But it. But, but the larger question, Congressman, the biggest, is the should we be considering it? Right. It can take anything. Should we be considering going back in, going on a counteroffensive to get our people out, to expand our footprint, perhaps to route the Taliban out of Kabul to buy some time to to clean up what is a catastrophe, or are we doomed to what has happened? Uh, Hugh, I think Amer- Americans have a moral duty at this point to, to clean up the mess that we've directly caused and, and created. First and foremost, we have to get Americans out of the country, and, and this president and his administration have yet to articulate a plan to the American people about how, or to Congress even, how are they going to do that? I mean, they, as you've seen, this administration, this president fumble all over themselves as they, they have no idea. They obviously didn't have a plan to begin with, but they have no idea how to get an estimated twelve to 15,000 Americans out of Afghanistan. And if that takes, if that means that we have to take back over a strategic position at Bagram uh, Air Base uh, to do that, then uh, we need to do anything that, anything that we can, whatever, whatever necessary to, to pull that off. Now, Task Force 58, which General Mattis commanded in 2001, flew 400 nautical miles to set up a Marine Corps camp. It is not impossible. The question is whether or not this president and this foreign policy and national security civilian team, I'm sure the military has the capacity. The question is whether it's advisable. I don't know the answer to that. Do you think it's even being discussed? I don't know. I mean, that's the troubling part about all of this. I mean, we we don't know. We we don't know what what General Milley, what Secretary Austin, what the Commander-in-Chief, what, what are their plans to lead forward? And that, that's, uh, that's, that's what's most shocking to me in this moment. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, heartbroken for what's going on in Afghanistan. I know, I know many of these people. I hear from them often. They're reaching out to me for help. Uh, uh, but, but what's more shocking to me in this moment is that we have a, we have a Commander-in-Chief who is in hiding. He is missing in action. He is not leading. He is not assuring the American people that there is a there is a plan uh, to move forward Hugh. We're, the Taliban is not um, they're not the most sophisticated uh, entity I mean they're not they're only more powerful now because they have so much of our equipment uh, empowering oh, oh in, in fact congressman for it it foreshadows paralysis if China attacks Taiwan that scares the hell out of me here but maybe they're planning an inshan moment and this is part of the deception I'll be the first to admit they they got me yay but I don't think that's the case. And that brings me to the Stephanopoulos interview. ABC scored a, a coup. He's the president's friend. But the little bits that have been uh, put out suggest he was at least uh, moderately pressing on the president. Uh, George has put on Twitter this morning in response to a tweet of mine that they'll be releasing the transcript this morning. I want to see the entire unedited interview. I think that offer of a transcript ought to be rejected as quickly as President Nixon's offer of transcripts of the Watergate tapes to be given to Senator Stennis was rejected 50 years ago, should that entire unedited interview be released? 
Without a doubt. I mean, if ABC was going to agree to an exclusive interview with a president who refuses to answer questions in, in any public setting, then, they, then ABC owes it to the American people to release the entire video. Uh, obviously, this, this interview did not go well uh, for the president. The, the, the small uh, snippet of it that we've seen, Hugh, but I, like you, I want to see all of it. The American people deserve uh, to see all of it. The American people deserve to know why. Why is this president hiding? What is going on? What, what is preventing this president from appearing before the American people and assuring us that there is a plan and answering any question, the tough questions, the easy questions, answer any questions about what it's going to take uh, to solve this catastrophe and lead this country forward. And right, right now, the president is living up to the worst perceptions about him. And, and th- those perceptions are that he is incapable of leading and the, the fact that he did a, a, a video with, with George uh, uh, and, and, and agree, whatever that agreement was to appear with George and do this interview, we don't know what that agreement was. I'm sure it was uh, it gave the White House some control over what was released. But, the, but ABC, uh, ABC owes it to the American people to release all of it. Very quickly, Senator Cotton suggested the president look shell-shocked. Do you have personal concerns about his capacity to make decisions at this moment? You know, I've, I've never been one to, one to talk about that, Hugh. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've dismissed that, and I don't want to talk about any commander-in-chief like that. Uh, but, it, but at this point, it's clear that this president is um, that, that there's something larger going on here that prevents this, this president from leading our country. I mean, it's, just, it, it's very clear that, uh, that it's clear to the American people, and until he can uh, assure us otherwise, uh, the American people are, are going to continue to have growing, growing doubts about his ability to lead our country. Do you fear any imminent terrorist attack? We have 15 seconds, Senator. Uh, 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 without a doubt. Uh, the rise of ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda, it's, it's imminent in uh, Afghanistan at this point, sadly. Congressman Jim Banks, thank you for joining us. I'll be right back. America, stay tuned. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.